Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. This is CBC Radio. From coast to coast through the CBC Radio Network and around the world on shortwave, this is As It Happens. Good evening, this is As It Happens. As It Happens. This is As It Happens. As It Happens. Hello. This is As It Happens. Hello, I'm Neil Kirksall. And I'm Chris Houghton. This is As It Happened, the September edition. You're probably familiar with our archive show, As It Happened. We dig around in the As It Happens vaults, which are deep and beautiful. Oh, so cobwebby. <laughs> we make him clear the cobwebs. We wrestle up some of the most memorable moments from the program's long history. We're bringing you a special new As It Happened podcast in this feed, where we'll review the surprising and fascinating conversations from the month that was, and, and dust off a few gems from our archives. So right now, we're looking very forward to looking back at the month of September on As It Happens. In this episode, you'll experience a symphony for the senses. We have <laughs> sniffed out tasteful interviews we hope will be music to your ears. See what he did there? Mm. You'll hear my conversation with a doctor who hates the sound of his own voice. I know, you can relate, Chris. I'll speak with a fortune teller who says she can see into your future, specifically mine, by reading between the crumbs, veins, and holes of cheese. She practiced the art of tyromancy on me. That's what it's called. And then we shot the breeze. Sorry, the breeze. This is As It Happened, the September edition. When I think of the mysteries of ancient Egypt that I personally would like to see solved, I think of the obvious ones. Who built the pyramids and why? Or why did people worship cats back then? And how can I keep my cats from finding out about that? A mystery I had not previously wondered about was how mummies smelt. And when I applied my own detective skills to that question, I concluded, pretty terrible, case closed. But not for Barbara Huber. She led a team of scientists that used remnants scraped from the bottoms of jars discovered in ancient Egyptian tombs to resurrect the smell of mummies. Barbara, based on your research, what might a freshly embalmed mummy smell like? Well, the scent that we have recreated um, is a very complex one, and it has many different layers, I would say. Um, but the first or the dominant aroma um, is definitely a woody kind of pine-like scent, a little bit as you would go through a forest, I would say. But in, it also has like a hint of bitumen, a little bit of beeswax, something sweet. Um, and you might even be able to pick up uh, a fresh citrusy note of um, pistachia. So it's a very pleasant smell. And it's the thing that um, was applied to the mummy, not the mummy itself. It's not mm -hmm. the like uh, decay smell. It's more the, the thing that you, the antidote to that. You know, when we first talked about doing the story, of course, everyone scrunches up their nose at first. But then when we thought about it some more, when you take into account how important these rituals uh, and the burials were for ancient Egyptians, maybe we shouldn't be surprised that scent, a pleasant scent, was part of it. How important was that to them? It was inc incredibly important. 
because um, the main uh, purpose of mummifying was um, preserving the body for the afterlife. But it was also very important to the ancient Egyptians not to stink in the afterlife um, because they kind of like equate like malodors with uh, the decay of the body. And this was the one thing they, they wanted to prevent because when the body is intact, then your soul can come back into the body in the afterlife and you can live on for eternity. And if your body decays, um, and they have really vivid um, pictures about that in their ancient texts, they say the body becomes countless worms, it rots and it decays, and then they also say it stinks horribly. And they didn't want that, so they applied all sorts of various nice-smelling aromas, um, aromatics, um, spices, uh, and, and created these mummification balms. You worked with a French perfume expert to create a copy of the scent to replicate it as best you could. What was she able to bring to the table? This um, collaboration was really interesting um, because uh, we identified the ingredients, um, but uh, working with the perfumer really, I, I really learned that blending the different ingredients together is an art for itself. Um, and this was very interesting for me. Um, and I, I need to say, like, this is not an absolute 100% recreation. Mm -hmm. This is the interpretation of the perfumer, because the exact blending, if you just add a little bit more of this component than the other, then it, you, you can create a different perfume or a different scent and, um, and really kind of fine tuning the perfumes together and um, trying to create something that is historically informed and as correct as possible, but also still um, is pleasant and um, works as a perfume. This was a really interesting collaboration for me. It must have been fascinating for both of you to, to be exposed yeah. to those different different worlds while recreating this. But did she get any ideas, you know, to to start making this available for sale? <laughs> this ambient yeah. people love a scented diffuser or a candle these days. <laughs> exactly. Yes, <laughs> we have uh, we have been asked that a lot lately. <laughs> so I, I think we need to sit down and, and talk strategy. <laughs> Would you seriously um, consider it, though? I could totally see that, but it's a little bit out of my comfort mm -hmm. zone. I think I, I will stick to the science and then let other people yes. <laughs> market it. <laughs> that was archaeologist Barbara Huber with the Max Planck Institute of Geoanthropology. She was in Jena, Germany. As It Happens kicks off the same way every night as it has since 1968, with the voices of its two hosts welcoming you to the program. Hello, I'm Neil Kirksall. Good evening. I'm Chris Howden. This is As It Happens. <laughs> it's a good one. That was really funny. How did you get that guy with the silly voice to pretend to be me? Neil, were you, were you in on this? That's me? That was me? Oh, no. I... I am so sorry, everyone. I, I had no idea. I don't sound that way to myself at all. I'm not sure how I'm going to keep going here. But, uh, well, it, it turns out I'm just part of a huge majority of people who cannot stand the sound of their own voices. And Neil asked Matt Nonheim, a laryngologist, why. Matt, my co-host is obsessed with the sound of his voice. How about you? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I try not to listen to my voice too much because sometimes it's a little disconcerting. Why does it bother you? 
Well, I'll tell you, you know, when you listen to your voice on a recording, it just doesn't quite sound right to you. I like mm-hmm. the deeper, more resonant sound that I hear in my own head as opposed <laughs> to the one that I suppose everyone else is hearing what comes up on a recording. Why did you want to look at, into this, though? Obviously, it's something we've all experienced. We were just talking uh, in the office about, you know, being younger and recording our voices or singing along to songs and then listening back or, you know, you hear your voice on an answering machine and it's, it hurts sometimes. So why did yeah. you want to, why did you want to explore I, it further? Well, I'm a physician and otolaryngologist and surgeon by training, and I subspecialized in care of voices, swallowing, and airway problems. And when it comes to voices, there is a very personal aspect to one's voice. This is one of the ways we present ourselves to the world. And I listen to a lot of people talking about how their voices are dysfunctional. And in recent years, I've been hearing a lot more people with ostensibly no medical diagnosis, no medical problem, no lesion or paralysis of the vocal cords, who still have problems with their voices and, and desire some sort of change or intervention. So that's what kind of prompted this study. So you, you conducted the survey. What did it reveal? Yeah, so we performed the survey on about 1,500 people, a uh, nationally representative uh, sample, and found that uh, a surprising number of people found that they did not like their, or reported that they did not like their voices. Greater than half of people told us that they didn't like the sound of the recorded voice. And even in conversation one-on-one, about a third of people said that they were not satisfied with the sound of their voice. We see and hear a lot about people younger and younger getting plastic surgery or augmenting their faces. And, and now you're talking about the voice element. It's difficult for people to accept themselves as they are. But what would you tell them about how they can do that? Well, I give this advice not as a psychiatrist or psychologist, but as someone who who takes care of voices. I see a very broad spectrum of voices from very deep, resonant voices to more nasal, tinny voices to voices that are rough or breathy or strained. What I can tell you about all of those people is that they have generally found a community of people that love them because of or despite uh, their voices. So generally speaking, there is some level of uh, acceptance that is, is recommended when when thinking about yourself, whether that's your face or your voice. That said, for people who have significant issues and feel like this gets in the way of their daily life, that it's a problem with communication, that they think there's a problem with the voice, that their self-confidence has been affected, reach out to a medical professional. There is help out there for people who want something different from their voice. Is it sort of, uh, you know, similar to research we've we've talked about in the past where people don't think they're as attractive as they are seen to be? It's, you know, you're you're in your head in a different way than people are seeing you. Is this like that? Yeah, absolutely. We know that what people report about their own voices, the symptoms that they have, the way that they hear their voices, does not always correlate with what other people hear. So sometimes it's just nice to hear your significant other, your family members or friends tell you, hey, your voice actually sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) Matt, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. That was Matt Nonheim. He's a laryngologist with the Mass Eye and Ear Clinic in Boston. You're listening to As It Happened, the September edition, the first in a series of monthly podcasts where we look and listen back to the month that was. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. 
For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. I'm still reeling from the realization that I talk like this, but of course, as someone who uses my voice for my job, I'm forced to hear it played back at times, whether I like it or not. Bernie Wagonblast knows what that's like. Bernie's voice can be heard on the show's Transportation Radio and Cranford Radio, which are a little niche, but if you've been to New York City and spent time waiting for the subway, there is a good chance you've also heard Bernie's voice. There is a downtown local 6 train to Brooklyn Bridge City Hall approaching the station. That voice has been helping commuters and travelers navigate one of the world's biggest and most chaotic transit systems for years. And you can still hear it coming through the speakers at New York City's train stations and bus stops, which is odd for Bernie Wagonblast because that's not her voice anymore. Bernie is now short for Bernadette. She came out to the public as a trans woman at the end of 2022. And in September, Neil spoke to Ms. Wagonblast about what it's like hearing her old voice all over New York. Bernie, that announcement is just one example. Your old voice is is still everywhere. Does it still feel like your own? Yeah, I would say so. You know, it's, it's something that has been such a big part of my life for so long that I can't escape it, and I don't want to escape it. So it is something that I'm very comfortable with hearing. You transitioned late last year, and not long after that, You wanted to talk about the shift in your voice and your experience very publicly, and you did that on an episode of your your own radio show. We're just going to play a a clip of that for our listeners. Now, you may recall that in the film The Wizard of Oz, that first section takes place in Kansas and was filmed in black and white. It's only after Dorothy arrives in Oz that the film turns into color. Well, today, I'm going to do the audio version of that. I'm speaking to you now in the voice I've used for years for everything from conversation to the radio to announcements on mass transit systems. As we get into the interview, though, I'll be switching to a more feminine version of this voice. Like I say, this is a little bit different. Usually I'm the one that's asking the questions, but why don't we throw it to you and we'll just kind of make this a a free flow discussion, if, if you will. The decision to announce it that way, as you did, why did you want to do it in in that manner on the radio? I think for me it was because my voice has always been a big part of who I am, and the radio has been something that I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. So it seemed to me that that was the perfect venue to to do it and to do it in a way that was most comfortable for me and that people were most familiar hearing me. So that just seemed like it was a very natural thing to do. It's clearly important to you, and I was, I was reading before our conversation, that the sound of your voice matches who you are and who you've wanted to be for some time. Yeah, for me, because my voice has played such a pivotal role in my life, I felt that that was something that I really wanted to work on. I felt that maybe I would have a little bit of a leg up because I am so Mm -hmm. familiar with how to use my voice that maybe this would be easier. I found out that it indeed wasn't as easy as I thought it would be, that it took a lot more work to even get it to where it is today. And I know I still have a lot of work to go 
to get it to where I want it to be. Is there something, Bernie, you want people to take away from not just the sound of your voice as you're speaking to me now, but your story as a whole? I think it's just taking away that there are so many stories that we don't know about people. You know, there are people that have known me all of my life, and there were very few that knew about this part of me. And I think all of us, to some extent, it may not be as big as as what my story is, but all of us have those things that are hidden that maybe if we were just a little more understanding, we could make life a little bit better for everyone and not be so judgmental of other people. As you're, you're developing this voice and working on it, as you say, how do you test it out? How do you know whether you've been successful in your mind or not? I know you have a method. <laughs> well, one way that I've done it is by when I call someplace. Mm-hmm. And if they don't know who I am and they don't know anything about my story, just seeing if they do gender me when they, t- they talk to me on the phone. Do they say sir or ma'am? And for the most part, people don't do that anymore. Yeah. But just last week, I had a phone call to a customer service agent who had no idea who I was. And at the end of the call, she said, thank you, ma'am. So that just <laughs> felt like a, a little victory, which was quite nice. A little victory. So I think some of us uh, don't like it when they call us <laughs> ma'am. But I like <laughs> that it was a victory uh, for you, Bernie. Thank you for this. Oh, thank you, Neil. Thank you so much. Bernie Wagenblast is a transportation journalist and a voiceover artist and actor. She was in Cranford, New Jersey. I don't know if Bernie Wagenblast has ever had an insurance policy on her voice, but John Harrison would probably recommend it. For decades, Mr. Harrison sampled ice cream for a living. When it comes to professional ice cream taste testing, he had the competition licked, which is why the company he used to work for, Dryer's Grand Ice Cream, once took out a quarter of a million dollar insurance policy on his tongue. In 1986, before John Harrison retired, former host Dennis Trudeau spoke with him about his job and his super sensitive taste buds. Mr. Harrison, this is, above all, summertime ice cream season. Tell us, how do we do it properly? How do we taste ice cream properly? Well, <laughs> well, uh, above all, uh, we, uh, we have to enjoy ice cream, and uh, we can get involved in it in so many different ways, but uh, I'm paid to taste ice cream, and what I look for when I taste ice cream is very similar to wine tasting. In wine tasting, of course, you start with the lightest flavors, the white wines, and you work your way down to the heavy-type flavors, uh, the Bordeaux or the mint chip and the New York blueberry cheesecake ice cream. New York blueberry cheesecake? (laughs) And uh, chocolate almond fudge, cookies and cream, and uh, so forth. So, But when we taste ice cream, uh, Dennis, what we're looking for are uh, three areas. Uh, Number one, of course, we always eat with our eyes initially. We all do that. And so after we've uh, eaten the products with our eyes, then we go into the taste buds, which I do every day. Which taste buds in your mouth do we use? (laughs) Well, we use every one of them. (laughs) And how much should you take on the spoon, or do you put it on a cone or a little wooden thing? Well, actually, I use a a gold-plated spoon. Oh. Uh, bring out any uh, off flavors uh, from plastic or wood and so forth. 
and I'll put a small amount of vanilla ice cream on my tongue and let it melt, and it'll cover the taste buds, and then I'll bring that aroma because I'm savoring at this point those delicate flavors, the top notes, the dairy notes. How long have you been doing this? Oh, <laughs> well, I'm 44 right now, so <laughs> I've been eating ice cream for many years. I've been in the industry, uh, traveled North and South America for the last 20 years, and but full-time in just tasting ice cream and developing new flavors for Dryer's Eaties has been for the last five years, Dennis. Five years as a taster and developer. Over all those years, what's your favorite taste? Uh, flavor. What is my favorite flavor? Well, I don't know if you'll believe this or not, <laughs> or your listeners, but uh, my favorite flavor is vanilla. I can understand that. Can't beat vanilla. What do you do to look after your taste buds, the ones you've insured for a quarter of a million? Well, uh, the word is moderation. <laughs> In what? I don't, uh, I don't go out and uh, run rampant with scampi and uh, garlic. I can eat anything, but I just don't overdo anything. So that your taste buds stay in shape. Exactly. And, of course, I, I taste early in the morning, so I don't uh, uh, eat breakfast. Uh, generally, I'll just have a uh, lukewarm uh, cup of tea. Ice cream for breakfast, every kid in the world must want your job. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Dennis, I'm a kid at heart. I love ice cream, always have. And uh, I think you're right. I've got one of the most enviable uh, jobs in the world. From 1986, that was professional ice cream taste tester John Harrison speaking with Dennis Trudeau. As you just heard, Mr. Harrison has a god-tier level sense of taste. He is completely attuned to every subtle note and nuance of each ice cream he samples. But when it comes to dairy divination, Jennifer Billick is vibrating on an even higher frequency. Ms. Billick has a sixth sense for cheese and is well-versed in tyromancy, the ancient art of fortune-telling through the observation of cheese. In early September, Neil spoke with the Chicago-based cheese psychic about whether there's any good of fortune in her future. What are the ideal cheeses to do this with? You mentioned you usually have a few with you because I'm thinking, I don't know, a baby bell or string cheese doesn't have a story to tell. Actually, might but okay. um, so the ideal cheese is a blue or a Swiss or something that has either holes or veins or any kind of variation on the surface. So if it's just a plain piece of cheese, like an American single or a Baby Bell, for example, because it's really smooth, those would not work. String cheese might because depending on how the the strings come off when you pull your piece off of the string cheese. So in your in your research of tyromancy and its history, what is what is the key? What is the legend you're looking at to see a story and to tell someone's future from these hunks of cheese? So on the cheese, I'm looking for shapes, patterns, lines holes as far as the size, the depth, the amount, any groupings. It's very similar to reading tea leaves and coffee grounds where mm -hmm. you're just looking for different symbols or shapes or indicators in the variations of the cheese that'll tell you, you know, the story of the person that you're reading for. I'm very familiar with, with uh, reading coffee or having your coffee uh, grinds read. Uh, is there a pattern in cheese that you, you really don't want to see? Well, yeah, for example, if there is a like really deep gash that goes across part of the cheese, that can sometimes be a bad thing. 
if there is a hole that looks really ragged mm-hmm. <laughs> and goes really deep through it, depending on what is happening around that portion, it may not be the best indicator. Um, I was doing a reading recently where I could tell from the cheese that this couple I was reading for was going to get in a fight. <laughs> and that one of them was going to end up being pretty bitter about something. And you could, I could tell that just by looking at the crystallization on the edge of the cheese. So I, I told her just to be careful. And what <laughs> happened? An did they report back? That. They did not report back. This was just over the weekend. Okay, so we don't know if that no, big blowout happened. More people followed up, yeah. Okay. Is this for real? Are you just a plant by Big, big Dairy here? Just to get people to buy more <laughs> cheese, Jennifer? <laughs> Oh, I wish I was. If I was getting like free cheese sent to me all the time, man, that'd be great. <laughs> no, this is actually pretty historical. It dates back to the second century, and the practice of chiromancy was really popular in the Middle Ages and early modern era. People back then just loved to tell fortunes and dabble in little bits of witchcraft. <laughs> um, but they and it was an agrarian society, so they used what they had around them. Do you have any cheese around now? What is it telling you? I do. Okay. I have a 43-month-aged Gouda. It is delicious. <laughs> and what does it tell you? Um, well, should I read for me or should I read for you? Oh, I don't know. The studio says it should be for me. We'll cut this out. if it's. <laughs> don't tell me anything bad. Right, well, we'll see. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the main thing I'm seeing on this cheese right now is that you are on a pretty steady journey forward in your life at the moment. In probably about a month, there's going to be a decision that you need to make. And it's not going to be spurred by you. It's going to be someone coming up to you and saying, hey, this needs to be done. You need to decide if you're going to do it or not. And then that is going to lead to a bit of a change uh, in your current situation. Not necessarily your job, so tell your bosses. (laughs) Yeah. They're listening. So not necessarily your job, but there will be some sort of a change. But it looks like from there, things are going to turn out pretty good. So the cheese kind of smooths out with a line moving forward. I like Um, the sound of it. Yeah. So I would expect, you know, somebody to come tell you you need to make a decision. And then you're going to have a change that's going to make an impact on every part of your life. But it's going to be a good thing in the long run. Okay. I'll Um, report back. What does the person (laughs) telling me this look like? (laughs) Well, let's see. They don't look like a bad person. It kind of looks like a fish. So it's, oh. it's someone you may not know at the moment, but they might come like swimming into your life. <laughs> okay, if I start talking to fish and cheese, then I think uh, my bosses will have something to say about that. But Okay. Yeah, so you, you, I, I get the impression that you don't know this person yet. I just wanted to point out that the, the cheese that I'm using is one of the cheeses I said not to use. <laughs> it's kind of pretty solid, clear surface, but it is, um, it's kind of old uh, and it's crumbled. So okay. I'm, I'm looking at the way that the, the, the cheese crumbles shapes are looking. Right. That's the way the cheese crumbles. That's right. <laughs> that was cheese fortune teller Jennifer Billick speaking with Neil earlier this September. Well, Neil, that just about does it for the September edition of the As It Happened podcast. But I have to ask, oh. it's almost been a full month since Ms. Billick gazed into her <laughs> crystal cheese. Did her prophecy camembert oh. any fruit? You said the the word almost. 
it hasn't been a it's month true. yet. How no, can we verify? You can't rush. Yeah, can't rush the magic destiny. or destiny, the cheese, whatever. I'll let you know. That's or maybe a no. I won't. This is a no for now. It hasn't been a month yet. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of this special As It Happened podcast. The show was produced by John McGill, Devin Nguyen, and our technician Reynolds Gonzalez with help from us, Austin Webb and Zian Ross. You can hear another special As It Happened episode in this podcast feed at the end of next month. I'm Chris Howden. And of course, you can listen to us live every night on CBC Radio or find our podcast. We drop one each and every night. I'm Neil Kirksall. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.